Well, good morning, church. We'll be in, continue the coronation of the king this morning in Revelation chapter 2. And as we continue, we started, the reason I requested the pastor Michael read that is we look at that king who is speaking. And last week we talked about that king being revealed to us and what he's like and who he is and what he is now as our ruling king. But before we get started, I'll turn my clicker on. How many of you have been a supervisor of some type or capacity at the workplace or somewhere? Now, when you walk in, what do you, the first thing you notice with people, how they react to you? Do you get perplexed about the workers that all of a sudden see you there and then change what they're doing? Or are you okay with the guy after you worked with him long enough to you know that he's only going to get the 30 miles an hour, but he's going to do that for 12 hours? You know what I'm saying? As a good supervisor, you know these type of workers. Then you also know the workers that when you leave them at the job site or when you give them responsibility to do something, they'll eventually get it done. Then there's the ones that you have to be there and go, come on. Come on. It's kind of like getting your kids to clean the bedroom. Come on. Come on. And so as we look at being a supervisor or having been supervised, we know both sides of the equation. You can pride yourself on being the worker that will be working regardless if the supervisor is there or not. Or you also then have to deal with other people in the workplace that all of a sudden the supervisor's there and they completely change their demeanor. Well, as Jesus watches us, he is the king that's watching over the church. He's watching over his church. Now, as we get started this morning, the church, what is the church? It's not a building. It's not a place we go. It isn't the architecture. The church is the people. Now, the people, which means it's you and I. Now, here's the hard thing about Revelation. Jesus is going to say some good things, and Jesus is going to say some bad things, but it's all directed to the church and to these seven churches. And these seven churches are made up of people. But he talks to them in singular identity, but it's a corporate idea. For instance, are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers any good? No, but they have some really good players. But they still have to take the W's and the L's. I'm not even going to get started with Cam Newton. Okay, I'm not. But he takes the W's and the L's. Church, we take the W and the L together. And it's the coach, the head coach, the king, the ruler, that who rules over his church or takes care of, or as in Revelation 1, walks in the mist walks in and among. So what he does is he sends an angel to each one of these churches. Each church, can we break it down like this, gets a praise, an indictment, or a promise, or a promised penalty. So PIP. Okay? They get a praise. How many of you have been to supervision and you know that this is the way you do it? Somebody's really messed up. So you start with, 
hey, you actually made it to work today. Right? You're not happy they're there. <laughs> but you start with the praise. Then you do, hey, here's what we got to deal with. And then you end up with, if so, then this. If you do good, you keep your job. If not, you don't. Or, hey, you've been doing a fantastic job. The promise is, I'll give you a raise. So it's no different here what Jesus, the ruling king, says to his churches. There's a praise, indictment, and a promise or a penalty. So as we get started, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. It's on page 870. Does anybody need a Bible this morning? Page 870. So let's start with Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 on page 870. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, of which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation chapter 2 starts with the church of Ephesus. One of the really cool things about Ephesus is we have their birth, their growth, and then we have them in Revelation. He starts with the praise. Hey, I know you guys are doing a really good job. You don't put up with evil. You know your doctrine. You know God's word. You don't put up with any false teaching. If it come across Facebook back then, the people of Ephesus would say, that's true, that's not. That's a good teacher, that's a bad teacher. Does anybody know about predestination? Pow! And they'd be able to rattle it off. They knew their theology and their doctrine. They even knew who the false teachers were so they could pick them out. So what is Jesus' indictment? You forgot me. You forgot me, your first love. You guys have a great church, but you don't have Jesus. You have forgotten why you are birthed. You forget why you exist. So what's Jesus' promise for a penalty? A promise. Hey, either repent or I will erase you as a church. This is the church that is all church but no Jesus. This is the church that has tons of programs but no Jesus. They look good. And what is the promise that Jesus says? Either repent of just faking it, or what's he going to do? I'm going to remove your lampstand from around me. You'll be gone. This is 
Ephesus. This is a church, we have the book to Ephesians in our Bible. They lost their first love. Why do we do church? Why are we here? Is it answered the question of why does Grace Church of Ocala exist? If we move away from being here because of Jesus, what he says, repent of that or I will erase you from existence. Now let's move to the church of Smyrna. Verses 8 through 11. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, to the, wor the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear that which you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Smyrna, the praise. Hey, you guys are holding up. It's a rough time. The synagogue of Satan is close by. It's rough where you guys live. And you're making it. Now the indictment is a little bit twisted in the fact that Jesus says, hey, you're holding up now, but it's going to redouble. It's going to get harder. It's not going to be relinquishing of trials. It's going to be the escalation of persecution. Don't buckle underneath that. And the promise is be faithful. Whereas to the church of Ephesus, Jesus says either you repent or I will erase you. To the church of Smyrna, hey, I know it's tough. I know where you're at. The persecutions are really bad. And Jesus' message is it's not going to get any easier but harder. And some of you are going to die and go to prison. What's Jesus saying? Hey, Smyrna, it's tough. You may be erased because Satan kills all of you. Who here would sign up for membership class to the Church of Smyrna this morning? Not I. But Jesus is real. Hey, I will work as the ruling king over these churches, and I'm sending a messenger to you called an angel that's going to say, hey, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. But those who die, and all of us will someday, and who are faithful to what Jesus has called us to do, he will give you a reward for so. An eternal reward. So we looked at the church without passion, church without Jesus. We looked church of Smyrna that's afraid of opposition. And let's look at Pergamon. And to the verse 12 of chapter 2 of Revelation. And to the angel in the church of Pergamon write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they may eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual, sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and wage against them with the sword of my mouth. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Pergamum. What is the praise? Hey, you guys are holding firm under satanic attack. One thing we know that Satan is real. He has a physical location. He's not omnipresent. Pergamum is unique because they share the zip code with Satan. Who want to sign up for a new membership class to Pergamum this morning? But Jesus knows this. He's the ruler over his churches. He's the caretaker. And he says, you guys are holding up. Now, what's the indictment? You have some major false teaching going on there. This false teaching causes some in the flock to fall down. And their sex life does not reflect what God teaches in the Bible. Do you mean as a church that Jesus watches over his church and as a community, our sex lives add up to what God thinks about the church? Yes. Nothing more important, you know, like coming to church on Sunday and the pastor saying, so how was it going in the bedroom? You'll be like, what? This Sunday. But Jesus writes this letter to the church and he says, hey, you guys are holding up. Satan's in the neighborhood, but what's going on in your sex life is pretty jacked up and I will come to you. Because you notice every letter to the churches picks one of the identities of this Jesus from Revelation 1. If he's got the eyes, if he's got the sword out of his mouth, and to Pergamum, he's like, I will range war against you. Now, what are the Nicolaitans? Nicolaitans are these people who say, hey, Jesus told me to do it so it's good to go. They, re- they refer more to personal revelation than they do God's Word. Let me give you a true example. I dealt with this. Husband and wife. She wants a divorce, so she prays, returns to me and says, or to her husband says, well, Jesus told me I need to go find a new husband. So the husband calls me and says, does the Bible teach that? I'm like, no! He says, but God answered her prayer and told her that's true. I'm like, God will never say that! Can you tell I got a little excited? This has been ongoing and ongoing. People will rationalize what they do based upon, well, Jesus told me. Isn't that like the trump card or something? You can't argue with that. Well, you shouldn't do that. Well, God told me I could. I'm like, no, he didn't. But this right here in this church, their sex lives are jacked up, but they say, but hey, God told me that in a personal interaction with me that this is good to go. And what does Jesus say? Uh, repent, repent or face war with me with the sword that comes out of my mouth. Repent. What does repent mean? I'm sorry to say that it is not what we teach our small kids. Go say you're sorry. So how many of us learn to fake it as kids? Tommy, I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. Then the next day, I start saying crazy stuff to you again. You're like, the guy didn't repent. The guy just said, but if I say I'm sorry every day, what does repent mean? I did it. Now I'm stopped doing it, and I'm heading the other direction. 
repent. Acknowledge what you have done. Then say, Jesus, please forgive me. And then I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm heading this direction. And what would they have to repent of in Pergamum? As a group, as a church, they would bring a church meeting together, and the leaders of the church would ask them what? Don't rely on this only. Rely on this and repent in your sexual life. I'll be, can I catch your questions in detail after we're done? Because i got to go on to the next church. Is that a fine? And I can answer that with detail. What they did, okay, I'll answer your question real quick. Balaam was paid to do what he was paid to do. Somebody bribed the church leadership against them. Does that make sense? It's like somebody coming to me and saying, hey, I'll give you $100,000 if you teach false doctrine there. That's him. Okay? So now let's move on to Theatra. Theatira. I love trying to pronounce these funny names. It's almost like you lived in Virginia or something and had to pronounce those. I, oh, it's okay, Robbie. I'm not picking on you this morning. And to the, <laughs> in verse 18, and to the angel of the church in the Theatira, right? The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works and your love and your faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is a teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. The, the Ayatira, what's the praise? Jesus says, hey, you guys are improving. The, flow, the chart is getting better in matters of faith, love, service, and endurance. Good job, team. Good job, church. You guys are growing in those areas. What is the indictment? You are tolerating a false teacher. You're putting up with this false teacher in your midst. Now, how bad a false teacher is this woman? Whew. Okay. This is the church of tolerance. Everything goes here because we love you. And this false teacher is teaching them, hey, follow me. And the wording used is seducing Jesus' flock to what she is teaching. And what does she teach them? How to better practice sexual sin. Okay. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Have you heard the phrase... Recently, to the times have never been this bad, especially from people that probably cash a Social Security check. 
Have you heard that? Man, it's never been this bad. The Bible is, look at what's happening in this time. There is a local church who is the leadership is saying, I will teach you how to follow God. And part of that is sexual immorality is part of the lesson plan. This is a really jacked up church. And Jesus is the ruler, says to her, I know what you're up to. Now, the cool thing is, he says, I will discipline you. But first he says, I will give her time to repent. God is always gracious. Because if you want to look at Grace Church of Ocala as your home church, right, and you're looking for the perfect church to go to where everybody's perfect and nobody hurts anybody's feelings and everything always goes right, this is not the place. Because I'm here. But Jesus says, hey, I know what she's up to. I know that she's seducing part of the flock to do what she's teaching, but I'm giving her time to repent. Stop what you're doing, lady. Turn from that, and I'll start teaching what I've actually written. Now, the discipline is really pretty funny because she teaches as her lesson plans how to make the wedding bed a better place, except with everybody. So what does Jesus say? I like this. I will throw her onto her bed with sickness. I will use where you went awry and make that where you get super sick. Now, those who went there with you, what will happen in their lives, it'll be really, really rough. So Jesus watches over his church. He watches over the leadership. He watches over their beds. The place of the sin is where Jesus will place his judgment. Unless she repents. Then he ups the ante to where we get really uncomfortable. What's part of Jesus' discipline to her? The death of her children. Does the king have the right to rule in this way? You can shake your head, yeah. But I also know other pastor this morning who late last night sent an email out looking for somebody to help him preach because his little baby's going to the hospital today. Now, I'm not saying, listen to me well. I'm not saying that pastor is bad, is nasty, and Jesus is judging by his daughter being sick. But what I'm saying is, is, this is somebody who would walk in here and say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, and I teach that. But Jesus knows what's going on. These aren't the pagans outside the church that he's writing this letter to. This is people that would make up the membership role, who would shake your hand, who would drink the coffee, who would pick up a bulletin and would sing songs. And this one's amped up because it's a leader in the church. Why? Why would he go to such extremes? We find it a little bit ironic that the bed that she defiles would defiles her and those who defile with her get sick. We're all like, that's some fun little justice, Jesus. Until we do funerals for her children. Look, the, the Bible teaches this that because of this harsh discipline, all the churches in the area would learn that Jesus knows and disciplines. How many of you are the, not the firstborn or the secondborn kid? You're the secondborn? Okay, who here is not firstborn in their family? 
Okay, how did you learn your lessons of the older kids getting the beatings? Right? Discipline happens publicly so the rest of the people see and say, I don't want to do that. Part of Jesus illustrating love to the local church is discipline them. And he says, because of what she's done, I will discipline. Because there's people in this church that say, I know what she's doing is wrong. I know that people are going to bed with her that shouldn't. Jesus, what are you doing? I got you. My discipline will be so harsh that everybody will say, whoa, Jesus really does rule. Jesus really does want to mitigate the justice here. And he takes the time in this letter to say to the others, to those who are not cooperating with this type of leadership, to say, take a stand. Don't endorse her teachings, her actions, or her followers. For I promise you that I'm coming. Hold fast until I get there. Keep obeying and serving the king. And what's their reward? A rod of iron to rule with Jesus And when you have time, look at the word picture there. The rod of iron is like one over a clay pot. I thought about bringing in a clay pot this morning and taking a stick and smacking it. That'd be cool. Then I got to clean it up. But that's what Jesus says. You will rule with such power. There'll be like an iron scepter in your hand. You could smack a clay pot with Jesus. So this is Thyatira, the church of tolerance, the church, church of We love you. You can do whatever you want here. So let's move on to Sardis, chapter 3, page 871. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who was the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember them when you received what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet I still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Sardis, what's the praise? There isn't any. They're in really bad shape. You don't at least get a, hey, good deal you showed up to work today. There is no praise here at all. The indictment is, hey, King Jesus knows who you really are, how you really are. You look alive, but you're really dead. Just go ahead and order the coffin. You're asleep. You don't care. And so what's the promise? Jesus says, Repent. I'm coming when you don't expect it. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. It's like the shock surprise of, whoa, we were kind of faking it, and Jesus said he's coming back, and then when Jesus shows up, they got this look on their face. Sardis, the fake church. Jesus knows. And he also knows that while most of them are actually just playing the game, they're actually dead, they're faking it, that there's a few there who are obedient and walk and live with their faith in motion. They put their feet into action. And these are worthy. And Jesus will be their advocate. 
Miss Sue, I don't mean to point you out, but if you had to pick out somebody in the whole, if you knew everything, what the best lawyer in the whole world would be. The omniscient Jesus. And he will be the advocate. Stand before the Father for those who are actually living for Jesus in the midst of this fake church. Now, Philadelphia, chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you will have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. And I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast for what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own name, own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. Philadelphia, what's their praise? Good job. The king knows what you've been up to. You have just a little bit of power. You're getting a little bit done, but you've been obedient to what God says and have not denied Jesus' name. You are patiently enduring your circumstances. This is, look at little Philadelphia, this little church. You know, you can imagine the people getting together. There's only a few of them, and what they're getting done doesn't look like it adds up to much. What happened in the last five years? Well, not much. But the king looks over and says, I know you're not getting much done, but man, I'm so happy for your obedience. I couldn't help it. When I was thinking this week, this reminds me of the little engine that could. I love that little story. Do you remember it? Yes! I think I can. I think I can. The only thing is the theology is wrong. It's not about me being able to get it done. It's about God working in them. But Jesus, the king, is looking over them. And the, you imagine if the Philadelphia was supported by another church? What are you guys getting done? Nothing. Not much. But the king looks over them, watches over them, and says, I see. I know. There is no indictment against Philadelphia. And the promise, I like that. The promise, all of those who are actively opposed to what you are doing will eventually bow down to you so Jesus can prove how much he loves his church. Let that sink in in a second. This is thick. Here's a little church. It doesn't get much done. Jesus watches as good job. So what's the promise? Everything that's been working against them will show up somehow, someday, and bow down to the members of the church and say, you are worthy of being bowed down to because Jesus is working in your little church. And man, does Jesus love his church. I have to admit that I could preach a whole sermon on each one of these churches. 
But I just let this one sink in. Jesus makes a promise to them. And in that promise coming true, people who love Jesus or not will recognize that Jesus loves his church. Continue to hold fast, he says, because you've got a crown coming and you've got a new city coming. We will get to the new city eventually in Revelation, but what's Jesus saying? Keep up the good work because your return on investment will be massive someday, but you may not see it in this lifetime. Now let's move to Laodicea. So we finish out with the seventh and last church. And to the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. What did you either be cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and with white garments so that you may be able to clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19, to those whom I love, I reprove, reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Laodicea, what's the praise? None. And the indictment. Jesus knows that you're going through the motions and you got a good, healthy budget. You're not necessarily bad church but you're not necessarily a good church you just exist all the programs are sufficiently manned and sufficiently funded we're good says Laodicea the big budget but dead church so what's Jesus promise I was trying to find a picture of somebody spitting I thought maybe that wouldn't go over well but it's the image God uses the image the ruler of this church who looks over him and says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Who would want to sign up to be the church that's a spit church? No. But they have the budget. Everything looks like it's going well. All the programs are sufficiently funded. But the promise is Jesus says, I want to spit you out. And then he writes this down for us. We need this as God's children. Because we thought we graduated from, the, like, when we moved out of our parents' house and we didn't have to take a beating anymore. Because how many times are we here? I'm giving you a spanking because I love you. And who of us as small children ever understood that? Or any type of discipline, a timeout, or removal of privileges? We never got it. So the Scripture says it here. Jesus says, as your God, as your Lord, as the one who is looking over you, look at verse 18. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Jesus loves this church, and he's going to discipline them. 
It's a hard sell today for me to say Jesus loves you enough to discipline you. And the you is the church together. We as Americans don't like that. We like common identity when we're victorious, but when it comes to discipline, don't you dare lump me in with them people. And Jesus says, I love you, so I will reprove you. I will point out what's wrong. And if you don't repent, I'm going to give you the paddle. So he says, get on fire. Repent. Because Jesus stands at the door patiently. How many of you have heard this, like leading people to Jesus verse? Behold, I stand at the door and not, you know, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him. Have you seen the painting where Jesus is at the door and there's no doorknob on the other side? Have you guys seen that? Right? It's right in the middle of the verse about church discipline. You would love to take that and put a little footnote at the bottom of that painting and said, Duh. because <laughs> Jesus is willing to meet us when we repent as he's anxiously awaiting to meet us there to reconcile the relationship. But if not, he will discipline. So let's recap real quick. What's Ephesus? The church, but no Jesus. They look good. Everything looks good. They know their doctrine. They know how to sing well. They know they, when they put on Sunday, it is sharp. Smyrna, a church afraid of opposition. Handling it, but it's going to get worse. Pergamum, a church that's all talk and no walk. Thyatira, church of tolerance, whatever makes you happy. The YOLO church. Sardis, the fake church. I'm working really hard not to give real life examples. But what I want you to do is think through what are we? Because Laodicea has the healthy budget, but they're actually dead. Philadelphia is a little but real deal church. I love that little church. The little but real deal church. So, what kind of church are we? Where do we fit in? If we were to be, you know, one of the angels is coming and he's going to give a letter that he said, here, John, write this down. And an angel, I want you to deliver this to the church. And here's what it says. What would our pages look like? What would our praise, indictment, and promise look like collectively? Because remember, the hard part about this is when the letter arrived at any one of these, there was people in there that said, but what, that's not fair. I'm just doing God on my own. Why should Jesus discipline our church? And some of that discipline included the removal of them. So when Jesus looks at Grace Church of Ocala, what does he see? It's the sum of the parts to some way. It's the look at the leadership. Are they under, do they need discipline badly? What I'm saying is, what kind of church are we? Because what are we together? 
What does that need to be? How do you identify Grace Church of Ocala when you go into public? So church, we must collectively, together, serve our watchful king. It's one thing, I just want to boil it down this morning. You're like, what are all those seven churches? Just put it this way. He watches over it. He has the right to rule over it. And he will discipline or give promises according that's perfectly matched to what they deserve. Good or bad. So church, collectively, every one of us, we have to serve a watchful king. Because he pays attention. He loves his bride, the church. He paid the price for her. And he says, I'm coming back for her. Let's pray.